Father, thank you that you are with us and that the word of God has been given to us as a gift, that the spirit of God moved among men and produced this writing, that we are not subject to fables, we are not subject to myth and rumor. I pray, Lord, that you would help the truth of what is about to be said to be so clear that it would be truth coming from you. Encourage us, Lord, today. Help us hear. Help us apply. And, Lord, help me as I speak. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, what a day. What a great day for the church. What a great day for us around the world. I imagining uh, just various gatherings of the church, uh, celebrating uh, this remarkable day and all the scriptures coming, coming together, coming to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So it's my privilege today to share with you a few thoughts from Philippians chapter 3. And just by way of a quick review, what we have is Jesus rising from the dead, living with his disciples, moving, teaching for 40 days. And then we have recorded for us in the history book of the New Testament, the book of Acts, we have Jesus ascending after those 40 days, ascending and becoming enthroned at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And he begins his reign as king in the ascension. Now, today is the resurrection day, resurrection day. Now, the question I have for us is, resurrection, now what? Resurrection, now what? I mean, for us, I mean, I think the vast majority of you here are believers in Jesus. And uh, you acknowledge the historical truth that the Bible is saying that it really did happen. All four Gospels just just speak uh, very plainly about this event. But the question, though, is what does this do with our daily life? What are we supposed to do with the resurrection? Jesus is king. How does it all fit? How does it all work? So what drives me this morning is really a practical and personal look at some implications for the resurrection. So you'll find that we're not in perhaps like the last chapters of John this morning, or we're not outside the tomb this morning. We are actually many years later with a look at someone who we are first introduced, and his name is Saul, and he is uh, a man who is profound in his understanding of Jewish law and traditions. He is a man from an area or town called Tarsus. And we're first introduced to him in Acts chapter 7, where one of the followers of Jesus, Stephen, is being martyred, stoned. And this man, Saul, is there holding the garments of those who are throwing the rocks. Saul of Tarsus is a zealot for Judaism. That's how we are first introduced to him. And then we find that he is converted on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, and he becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, we are years later, and we are now dealing with 
someone known by his Roman name, Paul, and he is Paul the Apostle. And so he writes this epistle, a letter to the, the Philippians, and he is reflecting on the implications of the resurrection for his daily life. So there's so many angles on the resurrection, there's so many uh, topics or ways of entry into the subject, so I thought this would be an interesting way to look at it this morning, is what are the personal implications for us and the resurrection? Because what I'm concerned about is, uh, I know very well what Easter morning is about. It's a great celebration, and it should be. But I'm, I'm interested in sort of kind of a vanilla Sunday in the middle of August. I'm interested in kind of a bland Sunday sometime in, I don't know, October. What I'm interested in is a Friday in your life in the middle of June. What is happening in your heart, in your life, in relation to the resurrection? What's happening with me on those kinds of days? Jesus has been risen from the dead. He will ascend into glory, and he will empower his church. And the question is, does that power function in my life? Is it active, and how so? We as a church are interested in true spiritual power to change and to grow and to mature. All of us, at some point in our lives, we tapped into something that we thought was really going to work for our lives. All of us have pursued something, some way of living, some success, some achievement, where we thought this was going to be the all-in-all, the end-all of everything. Something that would make life really worth living. Now, this is sort of a strange account here for us to read a bit, because we may not bump into many religious zealots, certainly perhaps hear about them in the news, but religious zealots, uh, here's one, the Apostle Paul is describing his life, and he's saying that he was putting all kinds of confidence in the flesh. This was his religious upbringing, that was his confidence in the flesh. He was... Circumcised on the eighth day, that is a tradition, a very important command among the Jewish people. He was a a Hebrew of the Hebrew. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. In other words, even among the 12 tribes, there was sort of a ranking of who's who's closer to God's heart, as it were. Well, he's on the tribe of Benjamin. That's That's like a really special one. So he's saying, as I lived for something... That captured my heart. I was living for religious status. I was a Jew of the Jews. I had status. And he is taking pride in his zeal because he was actually at one point a persecutor of the church. I'm looking at verse 6 right now. That was a badge of honor for a time in his life. a persecutor of the church. And then as to righteousness, look at the middle of verse 6, as to righteousness under the law, by way of outwardly how people perceived and his sincere efforts to keep the Jewish laws and traditions, 
He was known as blameless. And we know that no one is, under God's law, no one is ever blameless. But in his day, in his time, according to the things that he was adhering to, blameless. So what rules his heart? What rules his heart? Religious activity. Activity that is drawing admiration from people. David Pallison, Christian counselor, he writes this. He says, my daily behavior is my attempt to get what is important to me in various situations and relationships. My daily behavior, as I'm interacting in my circumstances with people, I'm, I'm trying to get what's important to me. My choices and actions always reveal the desires that rule my heart. My desires that rule my heart. And we see this in the disciples. As they're following Jesus, you would think that they would be a little more pious. You'd think they'd be a little more spiritual. But some of the, I mean, some of the things are just so outrageous, the things that they say. And that their hearts are actually revealed very clearly and pretty easily. For instance, in Luke 9, Jesus is traveling with his disciples, and they're making somewhat of a shortcut through Samaria. Now, Samaria is this place where sort of this, this mixed breed of people live, and the, the Jews didn't associate with them, and they didn't associate with the Jews, and they were, they were sort of considered heretics up, in, up there in Samaria. So they're traveling through Samaria, and a few disciples are instructed to go ahead and find lodging for Jesus and the Twelve in a Samaritan village. We don't know the name of the village. So, so a couple of them go running ahead to try and find lodging. Now they get resistance, and the town is not open to Jesus and his disciples. We don't know what was said, but they come back with this message that they received him not. So the disciples then come up with this brilliant idea James and John come up with this idea. They go, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? (laughs) This is what it means to follow you, right, Jesus? And we got it right? So so just, just walk with me here a little bit. They're traveling with Jesus, and they are sure that what this is about is power, and authority, and judgment. Do you think, that, do you think their lives need, need a little bit of adjusting? As David Pallison says, that we are always choosing according to what we think is important to us. Now for them, it was the displeasure of not being welcomed, the displeasure of not being uh, afforded a place to sleep, and that produced anger in them. And so some of the disciples were angry men. What do you think the target of the resurrection power of Jesus is for them? Their anger. They're going to have to have a lot of uh, uh, attitude adjustment because they're going to now move out into a world and most of the experience will be rejection. And it will not go well if they keep praying, you know, for God to judge the people who reject them. So, Jesus Jesus rebuked them and he said to them, You do not know what kind of spirit 
you are of. Very interesting. He highlights to them that they don't know themselves. You ever been around an angry person? Angry people are pretty confident, aren't they? Why, you can hear it and feel it. In fact, the anger is kind of like a fuel for them. And the more angry they get, the more right they feel. The more blind they are to themselves. So these angry disciples, Jesus points out, you don't know what kind of spirit you are. Now, how how does this all connect with resurrection and all this sort of stuff? The first thing that God is going to do when he begins to change us is he begins to open our eyes to our self-deception. Now, we've been looking just for a moment in Philippians 3 to this zealot called Saul of Tarsus. And all of you can figure this out. He's blind to himself. He can't see how wrong he is. The disciples' understanding of themselves was largely hidden to them. Now, if you want practical, daily, beyond Easter, resurrection power, it's going to have something to do with the things that you are blind to in yourself. And I'm just quoting Philippians 3 as a case study. Paul is reflecting on the resurrection power that is now active in him, and he's seeing it delivering him from the foolishness of religious approval. He sees how self-deceived he was. So, Resurrection Sunday is a great Sunday because we are now, by believing in Jesus, tapped into the power that can bring true change in us. We are like the disciples because we do not know what spirit we are of. And the training underway, the discipleship underway, is to reveal to us what we think is so important, what grips our heart, what we would, what we would die for, what we would kill for. And I'm thinking of Saul of Tarsus. And God, in his gracious love, is going to align us with the, the spirit of his son. And he's going to mature us. Resurrection Now what? Huge, massive implications for our personal growth and lives. We are now seeing in the Apostle Paul what gripped him. We're seeing what was largely hidden from him. We're seeing him reflect on himself. He's now aware of what he was no longer aware of. He used to be thrilled with his accomplishments in education. He used to be enthralled with his own sense of accomplishment. He used to be self-oriented all the while trying to present to others that he was God-oriented. He was a man of extraordinary status and blinded by the worthlessness of that in light or comparing that to knowing Christ. 
So what's going to happen here is we're going to have someone transition from being a, uh, a zealot for their own personal gain to now being one who is enamored with Christ. He was not able to see what his activity was like. Now, some of us uh, may have talked to someone on the other side of a night where there was too much alcohol uh, consumed. And the person you may be talking to, or maybe you saw this in a movie, uh, the person's reflecting out loud, I did what? I said what? That can't be. They are now sober enough to look back on their activity the night before and with somewhat of a clear mind, they're able to repudiate it. They're able to say that was, that was bad. No, that, are you, are you serious? No. They begin to reflect on their Behavior that they could not see or comprehend. This is a passage of someone becoming sobered up. Sobered up, seeing what they were committed to, seeing what gripped their heart, and now they're loose and freed in Jesus to leave all this stuff behind. Now, just think about this. Think about being a very accomplished person and thinking nothing of it. Think about having attended the best possible schools, and that's fine. It allowed you to, to do the work that you do, but in your heart, you don't really think it's all that much. It's not really what makes you, you. Do you see how counterintuitive this is to our culture and our day? Yeah, you do need to get training. Yeah, you do need to get educated. Yeah, you do need, yes, these are all important things, sort of. These are all important things, but wait a minute, let's, Let's, let's compare their importance to the risen Christ and to knowing him. And that's what is going to unfold here in the rest of Philippians. But whatever I had, look at verse 7. But whatever I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now he's turning away from all that he had. This is the power of the resurrection. This is the power of knowing Christ, of being connected to him. Whatever I had going for me, you've got to be kidding me. And adults here, if you think peer pressure is just a teenage thing, you've got to be kidding yourself. We are more influenced by what other people are doing, saying, driving, wearing. For Paul, Saul of Tarsus, it was religious activity. And he says in verse 7, whatever gain I had, and it does feel like gain. It feels like something, man. you got something going on. You, you're really making it in this world. you got it going on. Whatever gain I had, and he is he's a pretty big deal in the New Testament until he encounters Jesus. Whatever gain I had, and now here's the mental process going on, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing, and here it is, worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So here, here's the heart. The heart is evaluating. The heart of Saul of Tarsus was, was 
the worth of being a zealot was everything. Being a zealot was everything, and it worked for a while. You got people's esteem. You walked into a room, and you got their nods. And Saul's here. Whoa! You got you got their response, and it, it is like a it's like a drug. The approval of people. It's working. It works everywhere you go. It works. It's got power. It's working. It's working. Then it gets knocked off a donkey on the road to Damascus, and things change. And now this stuff that he thought was working is so important. All so important. It's the stuff that donkeys leave on trails. And that's what he says. I consider it as dung. That's the word. You take all that, that fancy degree you got? You, you won't look at it that way? Compared to Christ, and this is the rub. Here's the moment. Here's the Easter moment. Compared to Christ. What's happening in your heart right now? Compared to Christ. What's happening? That's the key moment. That's the key moment for that, that day in July. That's that key moment for that Monday for, for the pastor. That's that key moment for when we think we've got something better than Christ. And we regularly do, by the way. We regularly do. And there's always something pulling and tugging at our heart Something that a God replacement, a little, a little king, comes and lodges itself over our heart. Now, here's a couple of takeaway truths and then I'm done. Here it is. The value, the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ is hidden from you. Unless God, by his spirit, gives you a glimpse of what that's about. You do not, by nature, want to bow down to anyone else than yourself. The surpassing value of Jesus Christ is hidden from us. And it requires God to reveal this to us. Your experience and understanding of Christ's resurrection and its power to you is greatly enhanced this morning because you are here. And I want to tell you something really amazing about worshiping together. You could be by yourself on the beach with your Bible, perhaps. And why would, why would that not be the same as what's going on in here today? And this is it, that God manifests his power and his presence and his resurrection presence of his son among God's people. And what is hidden from you needs to be revealed to you through the life and work of the church. In a hyper-individual age, what you need is the life of the church, the means of grace. If this message is working, it is not because of my cleverness or my rhetorical skills. It is not. If this message is working, it means that God is blessing his word and his son is becoming delightful to you. And that is way beyond anything I can do. And his son is delightful to you. And this is, your heart is, is now being open to true beauty. Your heart is now being made available and enlarged to take this in. God is more beautiful and more lovely than you imagined. It is a work of divine grace. And do not discount the work of the church over the year, Sunday after Sunday, to 
reveal Christ to you through the means of grace. Here's one last question. How do I know I'm sobering up? How do I know? You'll know when you begin to say something like this. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You're coming out of that that place where your heart was, was pursuing false gods and idols. How do you know you're, you're sobering up? Because Christ is now becoming esteemed in your, in your heart. You're, you're, beginning, you're becoming awakened to his worth. Whatever gain I had is another thing that happens. You begin to look back and saying, well, you know, I really thought this was working, but, but now knowing Christ, pursuing him, I see, I see it in its place. It's now no longer so big in my life. The prestige I wanted, the comfort I wanted, the comfort um, I was after, it now no longer works because of knowing him. You see, you're becoming awakened to your true sense of need. On Resurrection Sunday, God is doing for his people what David reflected in Psalm 23. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's bringing to you a lovely vision and, 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 and assurance that that is true for you, and that is given to you by the power of Jesus being risen from the dead, his very presence. God will always dwell with his people, and he has promised that. And the goal is that we, through responding to this grace, would attain to the resurrection of the dead. And that is a future reality coming our way. So, church, I hope you are saying, okay, I need God to intervene, to reveal to me the things I cannot see about Christ. I need him to speak to me and show me his beauty and his love, that I might know him, desire him, share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. These are new cravings. These are new longings. This answers in part the question, resurrection, now what? True change in the heart. Let's pray. Father, this is an extraordinary morning because your presence is with your people.